We often hear about the storied past of Brooklyn's Coney Island, but there's another amusement park just a short drive from Manhattan with its own rich history. That's the sound not of the cyclone, but of Rye Playland's Dragon Coaster. Good morning, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape. On this morning's show, we'll delve into the early history of Playland in Westchester County. They were very, very conscious of the fact that they wanted to keep it a family place. And later, Westchester County Executive Andy Spano shares his childhood memories of Playland and talks about the state of the park today. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Glad you're riding with us. Our first guest knows a thing or two about Playland. Catherine Burke has lived near the park for over 30 years and is the author of a new book about it. The book explores the history and legacy of this national landmark, which also happens to be the nation's only publicly owned amusement park. I recently caught up with Burke at Playland to talk about her book. And here we are at Playland, a gorgeous view of the Long Island Sound right here. Yes, it is absolutely a, an incredible site for a park, for the beach, for everything. So it's it's a great place to be. And what history here that you've captured in this book, history that goes back to the 1920s? The whole history is based on a vision of the, of the um, people in government at the time, the Board of Supervisors for Westchester County, and their vision for a publicly owned place for everyone to come on the Long Island Sound, which at that point even was becoming scarce. So it's wonderful that they had that vision, so we now have this place. What did this area look like prior to Playland? The first image in the book shows a very tranquil beach scene, Um, but also there were two existing amusement parks. Um, There were a number of, you know, the usual things that you would see at the beach, but they tended to be, you know, pretty rowdy, as they said at the time, and Rye residents were not happy with them. So it all was very, very good that Westchester County took over all these properties. One of those parks was called the Rye Beach Pleasure Park, and the neighbors didn't like the sounds coming from the roller coaster and all the noise. No, and you could see very clearly in the book, I have some pictures of the original uh, park, and there's a roller coaster, and you could tell that even the slightest little scream would carry to these people's bedrooms as they were just across the little swampy area at the time. I think it's easy to forget that this park is operated by a county. It's amazing. Fortunately, Westchester County has always been unique. You know, i kind of partial since I live in Westchester County. Um, but we do pride ourselves on um, having the best and um, making it work. The bottom line is that the folks wanted to make this park a family-friendly park from the very beginning. Right. The, the people that designed it definitely did. Um, the indications at the time from the research that I had done was that the Board of Supervisors basically felt that uh, they were the leaders and they were going to give us what we needed to have. So I don't know how much public input there was at the time, um, but we're very fortunate that that was their attitude at the time. They also were slightly prudish, we should point out, because it wasn't <laughs> until the late 1930s that they allowed men to take off their shirts on the beach. 
they were very, very conscious of the fact that they wanted to keep it a family place. Um, there's a picture in the book that has a sign that says disrobing in the, in the cars essentially will be a $5 fine. And that was 10 times the amount it cost you to use the bathhouse. Um, so they really wanted to make sure that everything was kept very well. As far as the um, male torso, the rest of the country and probably the rest of the world had already allowed for um, nude male torso anyway, upper body, and um, Westchester County was one of the latest, and they passed it, I believe it was in um, 26, November, no, I'm sorry, 36, November of 36, so by 37, 1937, the um, male was able to show his torso on the beach. If we look to our right here, now this is the old bathhouse, am I correct? Yes, it is. Um, And this bathhouse, um, you know, you can see the images in the book from its development um, from the buildings it replaced all the way through its um, building. Um, And it's an impressive structure. It's beautiful. And I can't imagine knocking it down and putting something else in its place. Um, So I'm very, very pleased that the um, legislative body now decided to keep it and refurbish it. And it would be a wonderful thing for Westchester if the Children's Museum was able to go into there. This bathhouse has tunnels, so you don't have to you know, disrobe on your way to change or show any body parts that people don't want to see. Right. Um, And actually, that was a whole part of what you had mentioned, the prudish business of keeping it a family park. And people walking along the boardwalk would be dressed in almost Sunday best. Um, And those going out to the beach would go through a tunnel to the beach. Um, The restaurants on the beach were just for the beachgoers, so you wouldn't have a mix of clothed and less clothed. Um, And it's kind of interesting if you look at the images in the book, um, the bathing suits at the time, as much as they covered, were much more revealing because (laughs) wet wool is just, you know, (laughs) a little bit different than than a form-fitting suit. So, and of course, you could rent those a uh, nice wool suit for a dollar a day. If you didn't want the wool, you just wanted cotton. It was fifty cents a day. So, of course, today here at Playland, you can go to one of the many concession stands to get something to eat. There was a time, though, where there was waiter service. A restaurant here with waiter service. Right. Well, actually, where we're sitting right now was waiter service, um, and they had it. They the cafes around the casino um, were made to be like something on the French Riviera. Um, There was a Japanese tea house or tea garden that was down um, by the Music Tower, uh, and that was a nice restaurant. Um, Beautiful restaurants in the casino as well and also in the bathhouse. So there were a lot of options for spending the day here. You mentioned the Music Tower, clearly a landmark here at Playland. A lot of musical performances take place there. Yes, they do. Um, And back then they did as well. Uh, Musical performances. um, I didn't realize how many circus acts there were. Um, In the book, you'll see a um, human cannonball, um, and he was pretty amazing. They had a lot of um, car giveaways, uh, so people would flock to the park for that. Um, all kinds of incredible things. Skateboarders would have loved to see some of the trick acts that came off literally from a a ramp off the top of the tower. Uh, So it was pretty amazing. I first came to Playland Park as a very small child, and my mother and my grandparents frequently took me to Kittyland here Uh at the park. Really an all-inclusive place for kids. 
it is an incredible. And, and as my children were looking at the photos as I was putting them in the book, my children, they're adults now, um, it brought back memories for them. Um, in fact, there's a couple of photos of my children in the book that, um, that go p- perfectly with the, with the um, comparisons of the old carousel pictures with the new carousel and how well so many of these rides here have held up. You know, so it is a wonderful place, Kitty Land. Kitty Land here at Playland had a great slogan. Drop them and leave them or something along those lines? <laughs> Let me check the exact wording. It was actually park them and forget them. And I thought initially it was the Kitty Land, but actually it, there was a playground, Kitty Playground, within the Kitty Land um, that was totally encircled by the Kitty Roller Coaster. So the area still exists, but the, unfortunately for parents that are looking for, you know, some going off and using the roller coasters themselves, the Kitty Playground does not exist anymore. But at the time, they hired nurses and um, women to watch over the children and to play with them, and they had some wonderful, you know, roller or not roller coasters, excuse me. Um, teeter-totters and spinny swings and all kinds of things like that. And those images are all in the book as well. So you could literally leave your kids there, go out and take a ride on the Dragon Coaster and come back and get your kids. Right. Go on the Dragon Coaster, go eat at the nice restaurant, go dancing in the casino, um, go out on the boats, all kinds of options. And people did come and spend entire days here. The Dragon Coaster, of course, a very popular feature here at Playland that goes back many, many, many years. Yes, yes. It wasn't here when the park opened. It opened in um, 1929. The roller coaster that opened in um, with the park was called the Airplane Coaster, and that was supposedly a very treacherous um, ride, not so much unsafe as, as it was um, scary and, and moving fast. And it, it was advertised as, um, men, take your girlfriends. They'll hold on to you dearly as they go through the ride. Um, and that one closed in the 50s. They took that down in the 50s people of the day, of course, were very intrigued by air flight. Yes, they were. The airplane coaster was actually named in honor of um, Lindbergh. He made his flight in May of 27, and that's when the um, airplane coaster was beginning to be built. So that's, you know, that was a nice feature also. There are some rides here, though, that do go back to the very beginning. The Whip, which has always been one of my personal favorites, as well as the Derby Racer. Fred Church did design, along with Thomas Pryor, the um, Derby Racer. There's another one out in California where he's from originally. He's from um, out in Southern California. Um, And he designed the Dragon Coaster and the airplane coaster. And there's a great picture in the book of him standing, looking down at the coaster as it was moving. The Derby Racer, we should say, is kind of like a high-speed carousel. Um, actually, my daughter's an equestrian, and she says it's nothing like a carousel. It's actually racing horses. So it's only similar in that you're sitting on a horse and you're going in a circle. But the Derby Racer is the mechanism um, is specifically set so that you never have the same winner. It shifts and, and moves and adjusts so that as you're racing on this horse, going around in a circle, you never know who's going to be the winner. In its early years, the park was also home to a number of walkthrough attractions, including one called the Bluebeard Palace that was quite terrifying from what I understand. 
<laughs> That's about all the information I can find on Bluebeard's Palace. Um, it, it did look great from the outside. Um, there was All it told was the description, and that was in a newspaper article that I could find. Um, I knew when it was here, when it left. Um, but other than that, I would love to know some more information, um, have some interior photos. I'm personally also a sucker for a fun house, and there are some great ones here now today, but in the past there was one called Laugh in the Dark. Tell us about that. Actually, the Laugh in the Dark was a dark ride. Um, people did come out laughing, but it wasn't technically a fun house. The fun house was actually um, the magic carpet. And the problem with the fun house was that you could go in and go on all these, you know, great things, the disc floor, the, the tunnel that turned, the great slide, um, have all the mirrors. But unfortunately, they found out that people would pay their money to go in and spend half a day there. So for the park, it was not a really good moneymaker. Um, but it was a wonderful thing, and I think a lot of people remember it. The magic carpet ride, unfortunately, burned down, though, right? Right. It burned down in the 60s, I believe. Um, my, most of my research, I, I stopped probably late 40s, 50s. I wanted to get through um, the research as far as World War II to see the effects of, on the park of, of the war. Um, through the Depression, there, you know, people still came. They still needed the amusements, and the county was very much aware that people needed the amusements. So they tightened up wherever they could, reduced the prices for a while, um, and while the attendance dropped off a bit, it was not as much noticeable during the Depression as it was during the war. And because of gas rationing, um, rationing on rubber, and all of those other kinds of things, they had to close down a number of rides in the park. And as an educator, those are the kind of things that I like to put in because it doesn't just tell us about Playland, but it tells us about that time. You know, and it was such an incredible time for people to have lived through. Um, and most of us have only heard stories about that. And this, I think, gives us a little insight. You know, can you imagine having an air raid drill at an amusement park? Um, and they were very, very conscientious about laying down all the specifics on what would need to be done and having people on site always that were available to take care of, you know, any kind of emergency, um, as I believe they are now. Something else that affected attendance at the park, from what I understand, was the World's Fair in the yes. 30s. Yes, it did. It did. In fact, I found correspondence from the director at the time to the person that was running the World's Fair. Believe it or not, they wanted the they wanted Playland shipping dock here, where they had the steamships, to be a place where people could catch a boat to go to the World's Fair. And he said something to the effect it was sort of like asking Macy's to ship people to Gimbel's. You know, it wasn't... While we wish the farewell, we'll keep our people here at Playland. Um, you know, so yes, it did. And the the thing is that they shared a lot of things in those days. The amusement parks. Um, there was a the Canadian, or excuse me, the Chicago um, Exposition um, borrowed Frank Darling, the original director, and he ran that. Um, and because of all the tight connections, they were able to get new rides and change things up. What I was kind of amazed about to learn in the book was the fact that they consistently changed the old mill ride here at Playland because I remember it kind of being the same from time to time when I was a kid, but it changed quite drastically through the years. It did, and and some of the concessionaire agreements were for... They actually concessioned out to change the inside of the mill 
and it was the agreement or the contract said that you can have the contract for three, four, or five years, but each year you need to change the interior stunts, and that's what it was. You know, we go on the old mill now, and it's the same thing, and we laugh, and it's fun, and you know, and you might do it two or three times while you're here visiting the park, but they had the opportunity to have a variety of different um, stunts in there, so that was nice. There are a couple of rides captured in photographs that you have in this book that I want you to talk about. One is the Noah's Ark ride. Being an Arcadia author, I have a previous book, Hudson River Bridges. Um, I was in touch with Arcadia and going on their website, and I happened to see on the front cover of Kennywood Park in Pennsylvania this picture of Noah's Ark. So I contacted Kennywood because, again, very similar to the um, Bluebeard's Palace, there wasn't a whole lot of information in the Playland files about um, the Noah's Ark ride. So I really had no idea other than what the picture showed, what it was like inside. So I contacted Kennywood, and they were very nice about getting back to me and telling me how theirs worked, how it was set up originally, um, put me in touch with the daughter of the man that designed it. So I did a lot of research, and it, was, it really was fun and interesting to do. But Noah's Ark was built on Mount Ararat, and the rock, the fake rock around it, hid the mechanism that made it shift back and forth as if it's a boat out on the water. So as you board the boat, it was literally it's supposed to feel like you were on a boat. Um, and they still have the ride at Kennywood. There's two in Great Britain, but there's no other ones in the world. Another attraction I want you to talk about is the Niagara Falls attraction here at Playland. The picture in the book shows a honeymoon couple coming out, and there wasn't any way. I have a suspicion that it probably was a publicity shot, but it really looked like a great walkthrough ride where you could see terrific images of Niagara Falls inside in panoramic view. Um, It looked like you were boarding a train to go to Niagara Falls. Uh, And as you said, it was just one of the walkthroughs, one of the many walkthroughs at the park at that time. There is a casino here at Playland, but not a casino like the ones we see in Atlantic City. No, they had, they did have, you know, some, you know, all this, this, the um, bands playing and the um, dancing and uh, those kind of things. It was meant to be that kind of a, a place. But at the time, there was a lot going on in New York State with making sure that they didn't pass any laws with one-armed bandits. And I, I was surprised that the mayor of New York City at the time, LaGuardia, was involved in making sure that that was not something that existed. And of course, Playland you know, along with its whole theme of family fun place, would not be the first place to have that kind of a thing. Um, but it was a casino, ice casino now. Um, I think it was just meant lots of entertainment because there were a variety of different things that they had here. It allowed for Playland to be a year-round attraction. Even in the winter, Absolutely. people were coming here. Absolutely. That's exactly what the purpose of it was. Um, and then they ended up having ice skating available through the summer as well, uh, ballroom dancing. When they realized that um, as many people wanted to do ballroom dancing as ice skating, they would split the floor. So they had tables in between, and you could do both things. Um, There were restaurants on the top level and the balconies that you can walk out and get the nice breeze from the sound after you've been dancing or hot from inside. Um, You know, and, and it being, you know done to the point of the best they had the best ice making machines so it was a terrific place they actually began having high school hockey here in the 40s which i found interesting because playland is one of the best places for the hockey teams to play now so right the rangers have practiced here there's a picture in there in the book of the rangers the rangers no longer 
play here, um, but I've watched you know, my daughter has come to watch some of the high school kids from her high school play high school, you know, play hockey here. And to be on the rink where all these other people have played, it's really kind of fun. You mentioned the steamships that came to Playland. These ships took people from all over the place to the park. Yes, they did. Um, they brought them from New Jersey. They brought them from Staten Island, from all points of New York City, um, Connecticut. Um, and initially, they were one of the... Um, Actually, I guess one of the most popular ways to get to the park, uh, people would actually just climb onto the ship. They had uh, people that would wait on you on the ship. Um, it was it was a an amusement in itself, you know, par- a whole part of your day to come here, um, and it brought people from a wide range of places. But then again, as um, with the war. That slowed up with the steamships. The government, um, at the beginning of the war, took an inventory of all of the equipment here at Playland, um, actually had to take what they needed of trucks and those kind of things, and they took um, some of the steamships for transporting different, you know, different, I'm not sure what exactly the transportation was, but they had to take some of the steamships. Um, And they worked with the steamship, Playland authorities worked with the steamship companies um, to come up with the most cost-effective way to still keep the steamships running, um, but to have less trips and less distance. I drove here today, came down Playland (laughs) Parkway. Did Playland Parkway always look the way it does today? It was pretty much in the same location. Um, It was made to come up like a promenade onto the park, and as you see, the the pool at the end, um, which was built around the same time as the casino, um, and the the nice sign and the beautiful um, gardens, um, it was made to be exactly the same way. And the circle was the same and coming into the parking. So there was a lot. There's there's some aerial photos in the book um, that really help you figure out where everything was in relation to where it is now. Is the pool that greets you at the entrance of the park the same pool that was run by the first woman to swim the English Channel? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Actually, she was helped by Johnny Weissmiller, and I don't know if you're old enough to know who he is, but he that was before he became the first Tarzan. Um, so again, there's Westchester with all these you know famous people um, right here among us, so it was fun. What surprised you most in your research? You know, we think of ourselves as being so um, conscious of being physically fit and all those kind of things, and we think that back in in the earlier 1900s, people weren't. And what I found by researching all about Playland, it was just the opposite. I think those people were much more active than most of us are now. Um, They were always playing sports. They had, you know, there was the shuffleboard, there was the baseball, there was softball, and it was women and men. You know, and, and they had exercising on the beach. When I saw that photo, Pro- Professor Grohl is in the book, and he's doing leading an exercise class on the beach. And this was in 1927. You know, that's right before the park actually um, was opened. The county ran it in 1927. It officially opened as Playland in 1928. Um, but those kind of things I found amazing. The beach had a tannometer. Now, what the heck is a tannometer? I tried to find, I found information about the tannometer, but I couldn't find a picture of the tannometer. I really wanted to see it. And there was a descriptive um, piece of information in one of the old newspapers. Um, and it was basically a chart. And what it did was tell you how long you needed to be out in the sun to achieve different levels of a healthy tan. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Something else that aimed to make sure people were healthy was the lung tester that was here in the park. 
<laughs> yes, yes. I, I think at the time, you know, people were very conscious of lung diseases. There were a number of them at the time. Um, you know, and as you look at it, you have to wonder, you know, all these people blowing into the same machine, you know. Um, but it was an interesting thing. And that man that ran it was here for years. And he's an example of one of the concessionaires that had a relationship with Playland and was valued and we need to think a little bit about that, I think. You know, is, are there concessionaires that can help make Playland even more um, profitable since it is a county park and we're very, very conscious of our taxes here in Westchester County? But I think we're headed in the right direction. There's a lot of thoughtful um, decisions being made about Playland. So, Well, we'll see the next book in the next 80 years. The park is now 80 years old. We'll see how far the park comes in the next 80 years. Let's Catherine hope. Burke, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. The book Playland is out now from Arcadia Publishing. Westchester County Executive Andy Spano wrote the foreword to the Playland book. He was five years old when he first went to the park. He says for a kid from the Bronx, it was the greatest place on earth. I spoke to Spano about Playland earlier this week. Playland has always been open to non-county residents from its inception. People, you know, think that that's new, but that's the way it's always been. Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, you need a parks pass to frequent some of the other parks in Westchester. That's correct. That's correct. But this this was something that the people who built uh, built it felt should be open to everybody. And plus, they wanted to make money. The amusements were put inside the park in order to fund the whole park system. I didn't know that. They paid off the debt in three years using the amusement money, and then it funded the park system for a long time. It's really interesting to hear about a park, an amusement park, that is operated by a county. One would question, why wouldn't the county sell this off? It has a very public purpose, and it's, it's really a park with amusements in it. It's really not an amusement park, which is a, is a, is a difference. And it's the the heaviest used park that we have. You have about what a million visitors yeah, a year? Yeah, about a million, depending on the weather. And they, you know, people think there's been a drop off. There's no drop off. The drop off occurs because of the weather. Yeah, I've read that in a couple of articles that mm. there was a drop off below a million. Yeah, but that's that has to do with the weather. In fact, we do weather checks on and on. We try to be comparable. You know, just looking at the numbers doesn't make it comparable. If you have two rainy days. One year and 20 the next year, you know, your attendance is going to go down. Let's talk about, Andy, some of the more unfortunate things that have happened to the park in recent years. Mm -hmm. There were a few deaths there from accidents. Yeah, well, you know, there were deaths there based on the actions of the individuals who died. I mean, every death is tragic, but nothing, none of the deaths have been attributed to the park. But nevertheless, safety has been ramped up there. Yeah, well, in fact, we're probably we're probably the safest park in the country now, because every time something happens, we tweak it a little more. You know, we learn a little more, and we tweak it a little more. We're also the most scrutinized amusement park in the country. How so? Well, we're public. So, you know, rules like uh, foil requests and things like that that don't apply to private amusement parks all apply to us. So between the press and the a whole openness of a government situation, we are the most scrutinized. What are some of the things that have been done there to increase safety? We don't charge the parent if the parent is going on with the child on on the rides where the parent actually fits. 
and we try to let the parents know that even if the child uh, meets the height qualifications, because you can't be IDing every child with a, uh, you know, with a driver's license or something, that they should be using their judgment as to the character and the and the maturity of the kid. How much has the park changed since you were a kid when you were first there at five years old? Well, there were there were two roller coasters, I remember. There's only one now. You have called Playland the memory maker. What it is is, uh, you know, grandfathers took, took the, the fathers there, the fathers took the sons there, the sons are taking the grandsons, you know, and so on. It goes on and on like that. What are some of your fondest memories? Oh, I just, you know, every time someone told me we were going to go to Playland, I mean, that, that was the biggest thing that could happen, you know. Going on the rides and going on the paddle boats and just having a good time. Yeah, and you can kick back at the beach there, too. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, we, we, we went to the beach a couple of times. In those days, a lot of people went to the beach. We didn't have swimming pools in our backyard. <laughs> you still have big things planned for the park, including a children's museum. When I came into, came into office, what happened was the, uh, the park was deteriorating. So we had to do a lot. We had to do a lot of infrastructure stuff, and now we're restoring the entire park. And where do you get that money, especially during these difficult fiscal times? Well, you know, these are part of capital projects, and you've got to understand something about this county. All of our golf courses and most of our, you know, even even Playland were built right at, during the Depression. <laughs> I mean, people had the fourth foresight in those days to understand that these are things you need for the quality of life here in Westchester County. Parks are a big part of it. In fact, we're getting an uptick in our parks right now because of the economy. The staycation, as it's called. Yeah. You, you know, people between the gas and the economy and everything else are staying closer to home, and uh, they're lucky that we have all these facilities here in Westchester. We should point out that it's free to enter Playland. Well, and we keep it that way. People, you know, a lot of the people, the seniors come there frequently. In fact, in the morning, you'll see a lot of seniors there. Now, they don't spend a penny in the park, and that's good. I mean, you know, no one has to spend any money. And that's a, it's a park, uh, and they love it. They bring their own little sandwiches and paper bags and coffees and things like that, and that's great. The park is, uh, is, is an asset for, for the county. In fact, it would cost us more money to close it than leave it open. Was there ever any discussion to have an admissions fee? Uh, well, they did have an admissions fee um, at the end of the Del Bello administration and the beginning of the O'Rourke administration when they gave it to Marriott to run as a private entity. And, of course, it lost a lot of money. They charged admissions fee. No one went there. O'Rourke came in, knocked the fence down, and the county took it over again. Westchester County Executive Andy Spano, thank you so much for talking Playland with us. You're okay. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. Whether you plan to ride the Dragon Coaster at Playland or whatever you plan to do this weekend, have a great one.